Welcome to UO Today. I'm Paul Pepis, director of the Oregon Humanities Center. My guest today is Jayanth Banavar, provost and senior vice president and professor of physics at the University of Oregon. He began his tenure at the UO on July 1st, 2017. Prior, prior to coming to the UO, Banavar was dean of the College of Computer, Mathematical, and Natural Sciences at the University of Maryland. Before his dean appointment in 2011, he led the Department of Physics at Pennsylvania State University for 13 years. Banavar's research frequently involves interdisciplinary collaboration with the life sciences. His work identifies underlying mathematical principles to provide elegant explanations of natural phenomena. Thank you, Giant, for coming on the show. Delighted to be here, Paul. I guess the first question I have is, what attracted you to the University of Oregon? Um, I really was taken with the friendliness of the people here. I was taken with the idea that the University of Oregon was a university on the move. Uh, I enjoyed meeting Mike Schill, and I really like his values. And I know that you were on the search committee, and I was quite excited that I'd be a colleague of yours. <laughs> I'm sure that was one of the main reasons. Well, I'm excited to be a colleague of yours. What are the, from your perspective, what particular strengths do you think you bring to the job of provost at UO? This is a very difficult question for me to answer mm -hmm. because uh, I wish I had a whole list of strengths that I could enumerate for you. Let me just tell you that I'm very enthusiastic. I'm very bullish about our university. I'm really looking forward to doing great things with the people here. Tell us how you understand the responsibilities of a provost. What do provosts do? It's a very good question. I've been mulling over <laughs> that myself. <laughs> so uh, what I think a provost does is first and foremost to champion our students, our staff, and our faculty, and be there for the president and really push the university forward in excellence. I do want to say a little a bit about our staff mm -hmm. because often our staff tend to be unsung heroes uh, and I have come across so many absolutely wonderful people here who are on the staff at the University of Oregon and I really think we should all take a little bit of time to thank them for all that they do because without our staff there would be no show. Uh, here, here. So what issues have demanded your immediate attention? I mean, you, uh, you, sh you showed up in July and things are always happening at the university. What are some of the things that you've had to be dealing with? Um, mainly, I have been on trying to find out more about the university. I have met a lot of people. Mm -hmm. I've heard a lot of comments. And I have been taken with the great anticipation for a wonderful future but I have also learned some sobering facts, and it turns out that our university, like many other universities, have had a lot of budgetary difficulties. And not surprisingly, I heard that over the years, there have been sustained budget cuts, and there have had to be very tough decisions made, tough but necessary decisions to lay off people, to scale down programs. And often this leads to a lot of hurt, and sometimes it just simply cannot be avoided. But what I have learned also is that it has created some unnecessary divides on campus. So one of the divides that I hear about is a divide between 
tenure track faculty and non-tenure track faculty. And really the way I look at it is yes, we have to make tough decisions when the finances demand it, but what we should do is to take all our people, be they tenure track, non-tenure track, staff, students, anybody, every person who works here at the university and belongs to our family should be celebrated for the excellence that they bring. Because ultimately, a person's role is to be excellent in the, the job that she or he is doing, and that should be the ethos of our campus. And so that's one of the lessons that I have learned. I also see that there are divisions between science and non-science disciplines on campus. You know, there is this absolutely magnificent gift that we got from F Phil and Penny Knight, and this is for the Knight Science Campus. And so there are issues that often crop up of what is the role of disciplines other than science on the campus. Mm -hmm. And truth be told, if you think about it a bit, science makes the world a better place. We have cell phones, we have computers, we have self-driving cars which will be on the road very soon. And life keeps getting better because of science. But there is a more fundamental question that we should all ask and which we all do ask, which is what makes life worth living? And the answer simply is that it is really about arts, it's about culture, it's about the humanities. And so in some sense, what really makes our university very strong is that we have all these areas represented here, they are all very good. And what we do then is to provide a very well-balanced curriculum to the leaders of the future by having not only natural sciences, but also social sciences, the humanities. We have excellent professional schools. And what it does is it allows students to inculcate integrative thinking, to have very creative solutions to problems, and to really make a difference in the world as they grow up to become the leaders of the future. And a quick plug about social sciences and the humanities. Mm -hmm. We live in a world that's characterized by great change. And in order to master change, in order to control change, we really need to understand what our past was like. And that's where the humanities and the social sciences come in. If you really want to understand ourselves as a society, I mean, if you look at the Knight campus, the theme there is to advance society. But what is society? And the way we learn about that is through the humanities and the social sciences. And so it turns out that understanding our own culture, understanding ourselves, requires understanding of other cultures and how other people live. And that is the strength that we have, that we have all of those things coming in. And that makes me very proud. Hmm. Well, wonderful uh, answer, thank you for that, and especially thanks for your plug for the humanities and the social sciences. Um, let me elaborate with you a, a couple of uh, the points you've raised. First of all, um, you've now mentioned twice the Knight Campus for Accelerating Scientific Impact. So the first question is, what kind of role do you have in the development of the Knight Campus as the provost? What kind of role do you have? The Knight Campus is something that President Mike Schill has taken on as his responsibility and as my role 
as somebody who works very closely with him. I spend a lot of time with him discussing the future of the Knight campus. We also have tremendous progress made in the Knight campus. There's going to be an unveiling of the building plans and all that coming up very soon. Mm -hmm. uh, we have Patrick Phillips and a whole team of people doing a splendid job right now. We have a committee that actually advises the Knight campus. So there are a lot of faculty, a lot of staff members who have given of themselves and really made a very successful start to the whole initiative. And my role, at least as of now, has been there to learn about what they have done and be there for them, help them, advise them, and do whatever it takes to get us going in a really dazzling manner. Mm -hmm. You've, you also were just speaking about the um, essential role that the humanities and the social sciences play, and you cited the Knight Campus as a place where the scientific advancements have an impact uh, to improve life, but the question of who, where do we come from? Those are questions for scientists, for social scientists and humanities uh, faculty and students. One question that I get asked a lot um, by social scientists and by humanities faculty, but it's, it's also a question I think that some basic scientists have asked. Okay, so what kind of role can we play in the Knight Campus? Because this is a campus that's very much concerned with impact, that is to say, medical research, for example, or uh, engineering of various sorts, material science, things like that. How, how do people that work in the, the humanistic areas, the social sciences, and even the basic sciences, theoretical physicists, for example, how do they, how can they play a role in the Knight Campus? Can they play a role in the Knight Campus? Yes, I would like to think that the Knight Campus is not at all a separate entity from the rest of the university. Mm -hmm. It's going to be a huge jewel for this crown in the sense that it's going to be sparkling, it's going to be really, really very special. And as you point out, I mean, we'll be perhaps doing some fantastic medical research and relating to OHSU and the medical campus mm -hmm. there. And it's really about, as you said, taking ideas to impact. I mean, that's the basic goal mm -hmm. of that campus. Mm -hmm. But that campus is not going to be sitting in a vacuum because there will be people from the rest of the campus that will be closely linked with what is going on there. So there will be an interchange of people, an interchange of ideas. It's not going to be an island unto itself or an oasis. It's really going to be a free interchange of ideas. And what the night gift will allow us to do is to showcase excellence like we have never had the opportunity to do because it's all about resources ultimately. It's about getting fantastic people to join us who compare with some of the fantastic people we already have here. So it's really a question of adding in a very significant way and making a difference and I can see that there always ought to be crosstalk within the campus. So for example, if I'm a physicist, trying to understand the universe, then I need a philosopher mm -hmm. who can explain to me what it's all about. If I am a climate scientist bemoaning the fact that perhaps there is climate change going on, I need a humanist to be able to understand what impact is it having on society and how can we really help matters. So there is this continuous interlinking of things in the journalism school, Mike Schill recently announced that there is going to be an initiative in science communications. Mm -hmm. And communicating your ideas, 
communicating in a way that you can affect change and make life better is what we are all about. And it cannot be done by scientists alone, and we need the whole family to come together. So what I would like to do is to have a situation where people are proud that we have the Knight Campus. Mm -hmm. People contribute in ways that they can to make it better. And as a whole family, we really become something that the world takes notice of. And most importantly, our students are trained to be the leaders of the next generation. Hmm. Okay. So you've, you've uh, used this analogy of the family a couple of times. So I want to ask you a little bit about um, your immediate family on this campus, that is to say, the, the uh, part of the campus that the provost oversees, which is academic affairs. So there have been changes in the structure of the family of academic affairs. Tell us about those changes and why those changes were necessary to make. So um, it turns out that there are three people that I work very closely with in the provost's office. There is Melanie Munzer, who has actually been the catalyst for change, and she has been working on it long before I got here. Uh, Brad Shelton is a mathematician and really very wise person who has been creating machinery for us to move forward in excellence and make sure that the wishes of the faculty are really taken care of and we keep recruiting people of the caliber of the best people we have here already. Mm -hmm. And then there is Scott Pratt who we recruited recently who is the third person on our team and he it turns out is a philosopher and was the dean of the graduate school and really understands the faculty and academic issues. So there are operational issues that we deal with, there are academic issues we deal with, and most importantly, we want to keep the trains running on time because we are there more to serve the people, we are there to serve the academic community, we are there to serve the faculty, and we are very conscious of the fact that we cannot let down other people because that's our job. And so whatever reorganizations have happened or are going on are all aimed towards one thing, to be effective, to be helpful, and to make a positive difference in the lives of others. So um, tell me about, so one of the crucial um, parts of this effort is also a, a new initiative, the Academic Hiring Plan. So tell us how you understand the Academic Hiring Plan and why that's a, that contributes to this effort that you just described. Yeah, it's actually called the Institutional Hiring Plan. Oh, I'm sorry. told, I'm You're told. You're right. You're right. My notes tell me that too. Yes. Institutional Hiring And plan. this was something that was put in place by my predecessor, Scott Coltrane, before I got here. Mm -hmm. And it was done with a lot of input and a lot of thinking because recruiting fantastic people, and I keep emphasizing this because we already have truly fantastic people here and we want to keep going with people of the highest caliber when we recruit or when we tenure. And everything we do, I again want to reiterate, is for our students. Mm -hmm. Because we are a university and students have to come first. But now let's take the task of recruiting people on the faculty, mm -hmm. given that it's a very important thing. Uh, it turns out that this year, I'm told, we have the possibility to recruit more than 60 faculty. That's a big number. And you want to be sure that the people you recruit are really, really outstanding. And so what you want to do is there is an opportunity to improve the quality of the campus by these recruitments. So the decisions that need to be made is what areas do you recruit in? Who do you find? How good are they? How do they fit in? 
how is the whole going to be much greater than the sum of the parts when they come here? And these are all elementary questions that we need to ask and answer. So the institutional hiring plan is just a machine which takes input from the faculty because the faculty really run the process. It's all about all of us working together with shared governance and I really believe in that. And so the faculty come together with plans for making our campus a much better place. They get together, they propose recruitments, they argue why are those recruitments really vital? Are they really going to change the lives of students? If yes, there's no debate. Are they going to improve the overall excellence? If yes, that's a wonderful thing. And if all those things happen, that's even better. So the faculty get together, they propose things to the deans who are the leadership of the colleges and the schools. And the deans look at all those proposals because we cannot be everything to everybody. We have to have selective excellence in a time when the resources are somewhat limited. And the deans and the faculty put together certain proposals to the provost's office. And what, do what does the provost's office do? Well, I as the provost am not equipped or intelligent enough to make decisions and say, oh, these positions are good and those positions are bad. So what do I do? I go and consult with the faculty again. So there is a faculty committee of top-notch people who will advise me about it. And the whole process is going to be very transparent. People will understand why we are doing it. It's all going to be based on analytical data. It's all data-driven. It's transparent. And together, and this is the word family will come in again here, Together as a family, we all decide what do we want to do to make our university better and we proceed. So one of these areas of um, institutional priority is the presidential's, uh, presidential initiative in data science. So say a little bit about that. Uh, am I being very slow here? Should I speed up my answers? You're doing fine. Okay. So the presidential data initiative is very exciting. Uh, what I learned when I came here is that our faculty have been thinking about this in separate entities. There are so many units where data impacts life. And so it turns out that big data is everywhere. We have massive amounts of data. And the job really is to somehow look at all the data, piece out what are the essentials, try to have some inferences and make some analytic predictions and try to ask how can we use those predictions to improve our understanding. So that's the basic goal here. Mm -hmm. And our students absolutely need training in the data sciences. So what the faculty had found was that there were people in the natural sciences naturally, there were people in the social sciences, there were, there were people in education, there were people in the business school. There were, there were people in the journalism school. And the list can go on and on. There are people in design. So there are all these people who are clamoring to recruit people and to bring together a culture where we can really understand big data and make use of it and master it and prepare our students to become experts in it. So the presidential initiative is a way of incorporating all those ideas together and do it in a holistic manner so that we have a targeted recruitment 
of people in the area of data science, bring in outstanding people who will talk to each other, who will enrich each other's research, but at the same time, be able to train our students and maybe have a degree program, maybe really train people to become adept at analyzing data. And so it all began with the institutional hiring plan because people noticed there were about eight or 10 different requests from the faculty to recruit in this area. So when I arrived here, it was but natural to say, why don't we combine those Again, why don't we make the whole greater than the sum of the parts? Why don't we build synergies? And why don't we call it the presidential initiative? Because it comes with a little bit of oomph attached to it. And there was a recent anonymous gift. And Mike Schill graciously said that some of that could go to really bettering ourselves in this field. And so there is a lot of excitement. And it's an initiative that I expect will go on for a few years. Rome wasn't built in a day, and so we'll have to keep doing it. But the hope is that we will have a presence, and we will have students being trained in it, and we will be a better campus because of it. So you've spoken repeatedly in our conversation about the value of research and, and, and the positive impacts that research makes. I'm interested in talking to you a little bit about your research, because you are also, in addition to being a provost, a researcher, a physicist. And your, your research is very interesting. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the kind of research that you do? Yeah, let me just tell you about a couple of uh, problems that I have been thinking about, questions that I have been trying to address. Mm -hmm. And some of these questions um, I don't immediately find a solution to. The first trick of doing research for me is to have collaborators who are much better than me, and that helps. And there are at least two problems that I'm actively thinking about. Uh, one of them is a very simple question that our ancients could have asked, which is that if you look around us, and it's only on planet Earth that we know about life. We do not know about life anywhere else, which is a little sad, but I'm sure there is. But if you look at our Earth and you see two types of dominant life forms, there are animals like you and me that move around, that have a heart, and in fact, in you is a gene called the Tin Man gene, named after the Wizard of Oz character that actually produces the heart. Mm -hmm. And also from a very simple geometrical way, your surface area is proportional to the two-thirds power of your volume. This is an old geometrical thing which says that surface scales as a length squared, the volume scales as a length cubed. And that's how many objects are, and that's how you are. Mm -hmm. But now contrast that to a tree. A tree is a rooted organism. It does not move except in Macbeth. And a tree has a volume, and the volume is filled with leaves. And the leaves are surface elements. So it has a very different geometry where the surface scales as the volume. Mm -hmm. And unlike you, who have a homogeneous density of tissue, trees are inhomogeneous because the trunk and the branches weigh more, they are denser than the leaves, mm -hmm. and they are branching objects. And the question that you might ask is, why has nature selected these two very different geometries for life here on Earth? Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to answer that question. And I also work on a very beautiful problem called proteins. 
Proteins are the molecular machines in your body. Insulin is a protein that signals you to store excess sugar. Antibodies are proteins that fight infection. And the question is, proteins, in spite of their diversity, in spite of their myriad forms, have some amazing commonalities. And the commonality is that they share a variety of properties amongst themselves. And what this lends one to think about if you are a physicist like me, and especially a crackpot physicist like me, is that could there be a phase of matter that protein structures reside in? And an example of a phase of matter is a liquid. So here is a liquid, here is a glass of water. Mm -hmm. The water takes the shape of the container. The liquid can be poured, the liquid flows, and it doesn't matter whether it's water or alcohol or oil, they all are liquids. And so the question I'm pondering is could there be a phase of matter that proteins lie in? And that's an interesting question. If it's true, it could have profound consequences. Can you say w what those might be? The profound consequences? Mm -hmm. What it, the, one of the most practical consequences could be if you identify a hitherto unknown phase of matter that protein structures occupy. Mm -hmm. And if I, as a chemist, can create chemicals which sit in that phase of matter, they would have the same properties as proteins do. Mm -hmm. And they would be absolutely nifty machines that could change the world. But then there is a deeper question, because if there is life elsewhere in the cosmos, then I would submit that it doesn't have to be based on the same chemistry, the carbon chemistry and what we see here on Earth, but rather what you really need is to sit in that phase of matter to have the ability to actually reproduce and do the marvelous things that life does. Hmm. Fascinating. I can just let me comment here. I hope during your provostship you have an opportunity to teach because clearly you'd be a great person to uh, uh, be teaching our students. You're very kind. <laughs> no, I'm just so excited about it. <laughs> so um, we have just a couple of minutes left. This will be my last question, I'm pretty sure. Um, has there been an experience or a memory that you've had since you've been in Oregon or at the University of Oregon that you'd like to share yeah, with us? Yeah, typically memories are made in a long period of time. I mean, I've been here only about four months. But if you ask me, have I had some experiences that really have uh, made a real impression on me. Uh, it's the amazing friendship that people have here, the kindness, the way in which I have been welcomed here has been terrific. And on a very sort of more mundane point of view, I've had an opportunity to go to Crater Lake. I haven't seen anything so beautiful. And so it's just been a very joyous experience for me. And I look forward to many, many years of great fun and wonderful progress at this wonderful university. Well, that's a wonderful place for us to end this uh, conversation. Thank you, Jayanth Banavar, for speaking with us today. Thank you, Paul. It's my pleasure. I've been speaking with Jayanth Banavar, Provost and Senior Vice President and Professor of Physics at the University of Oregon. Thank you so much for watching. <laughs>